Side. Brooks here. Hey, our family is up in Washington celebrating Christmas and New Year's with family up there. So we're not with you today, but I am looking forward to next Sunday. I'll be back ready to go. Looking forward to seeing all of you from my family to yours. Again, Merry Christmas and have a happy new year. You are in for a treat today because my friend Joel Gerlach is going to be speaking today. Now, Joel isn't going to tell you this because he's not going to toot his own horn, but he's a little bit of a celebrity here at our house because when my boys found out that he did special effects work when he was living down in L.A., um, they, uh, they, he rapidly became basically their favorite person. He's done special effects for Thor. He's done special effects for Captain America and a bunch of other Marvel movies. And uh, more than that, though, what I appreciate about Joel the most is his passion for scripture. Um, he is a great husband, great dad. And when they moved their family up here from L.A., started going to Westside a while ago and has rapidly become a really, really good friend. Um, they love Westside. They love serving here at Westside. And it's an honor that Joel gets to speak today. And I'm uh, looking forward to listening to it. Um, on on the podcast afterwards. So anyways, give it up for Joel. Give him a round of applause. We'll see you guys next week. Wow. It's really funny because in the the staff meeting or the the meeting we had before service, they said they were going to play a a video and I was joking. I said, oh, is it going to be all about me? And now I actually know it was all about me. So that's really great. (laughs) So yeah, my name is Joel and uh, and Brooke stole a little bit of my thunder with this video because I was going to make a joke about how he asked me if I'd be willing to do a sermon. I'm still going to do it because it's in my notes. So I'm not going to change it this late in the game. So um, Brooks, uh, we were over at his house and he said, hey, man, what are you doing for Christmas? Are you staying in town? I was like, yeah, we're going to be here first Christmas in our new home, new baby. We're just going to stay around and be close to family. He's like, that's awesome. He said, okay, well, what about, uh, what about New Year's? What are you going to do for New Year's? I said, well, yeah, same thing. We'll be hanging around here, you know, not really doing anything, not going anywhere. And he said, oh, that's awesome. So what are you going to do on Sunday the 30th? And I'm thinking, oh, um, nothing. I mean, we'll be going to church. He's like, that's awesome. He's like, well, would you be willing to do the sermon? <laughs> And I had two thoughts going through my mind at that time. The first thought was, wow, that's an honor. Like, I'm genuinely honored that he would ask me to come and do a sermon here for you guys uh, to, to preach this morning. And then my second thought was, is this is absolutely terrifying because, believe it or not, I've never actually done a sermon before. So you guys are in for a treat. I, this is going to be really great. Or if you see me running off stage, that's fine. You can follow me. We'll hang out in the lobby. It'll be great. Um, <laughs> So anyways, uh, uh, I I really am honored to be here with you guys this morning. And the second service, you know, I'm going to tell them this is my second sermon. They don't have anything to be worried about. But you guys, you guys are the test case. So be sure to take notes. Let me know how I can improve at the end. We'll be great. Uh, So have you ever been in a situation in which you felt like you'd lost everything, right? Where nothing seemed to be going your way, your dreams, your goals, your aspiration, everything you've poured your heart and your life into wasn't going as it expected, So in that moment, thinking about that place, how did you feel about God? How did you feel about God? Would you say that God was being good towards you? Would you say that God was not being good towards you? Would you even dare to say that God was good, period, in the midst of losing everything? So let me tell you a moment about a time in which I lost it all. As Brooks mentioned, I worked in visual effects industry uh, in L.A. I moved there. I always wanted to be a director. Since I was a little kid, I wanted to direct big films. And I figured the best way to get into that was to work in visual effects, work my way up, and then transfer over to directing. So that was the plan. That was my dream. 
And uh, I moved there, um, and I worked on Thor, as he mentioned, and that was an amazing experience. I literally got to see my name in the credits of Thor before I was 20, or before I was 21. I, could, I couldn't even legally order a beer, and yet there I was working in the industry. And it was amazing. Got to work on X-Men First Class, got to work on Captain America, got to do Iron Man 2, got to work on the Avengers. It was an amazing and incredible experience working on these films. In fact, you guys can actually look up Joel Gerlach on IMDb and you can see my work. It's kind of a big deal, right? That's, there's my resume, I just sent somebody my IMDb page. Um, but uh, after a while of working in that industry, I was like, man, this is boring, I'm stuck behind a computer all the time, I'm gonna go out and work in production. So I gotta go work on film sets and TV sets and, and I gotta work in commercials, and it was an amazing experience, but even that after a while was wearing me down. So I said, you know what the solution is? I'm gonna start my own company. So I called my college roommate and said, hey man, do you like working for absolutely no pay? And do you like working really hard and never getting appreciation for it? And he said, yeah, I love that. He didn't actually say that. Uh, and so we decided to start a company together. And that was amazing. We worked on stuff for Disney and General Electric. We did a project for Lego. We got to do a commercial for Hot Wheels. It was incredible. From the outside, it looked like everything was just, my career was on, on the path to be exactly where I wanted to be. My spiritual career, too, if you want to call it a career, was also doing well. I joined a church called Vintage. It was a small church plant, just 10 people when I started going to Vintage. And I got to watch that church grow over time until right before we left. It was four services, three locations. They had over 2,000 people coming every single day. It was explosive. And my wife and I, we got to uh, lead the prayer ministry team. So we, when we started leading there, teaching people how to pray, it went from five people and it continued to grow until it was over 55 people praying on Sunday. It was incredible. And so it felt like everything that we had done was leading to the point of success. Well, as it often does, things change. So we found out that uh, my wife's job that she was, she was doing was starting to come to an end, which is a bit of a problem because my company, we took a risk to do, develop some VR games and VR applications, and we launched two of our own products to the market, and they weren't selling. So I wasn't making any money. And then my wife's job was coming to close. We found out we were pregnant with our second kid. Our first kid kind of threw a wrench in the plans too because we had all this community with our church. But when we had our kid and realized how difficult it was, we had to step down from leading the prayer ministry team. They got somebody else. And our community that we worked so hard to build started to dissipate and disappear because we weren't serving so long. And then finally, we got to the point where we realized my company is not going to survive anymore. And so my business partner and I had to say, hey, you know what? We're exhausted. This has been a hard five years of trying to get this thing to grow. We're not growing. What are we going to do? And so it seemed like everything that we had put our energy and focus towards was coming to a close. And in that moment, I could hardly imagine that everything that was happening to me, the loss of my dreams, my career, my job, everything that I'd done was actually an act of God's goodness. Right? It wouldn't seem like that, but that's what it was. And so how do we even believe in God's goodness despite the huge obstacles that will try and convince us otherwise, try and convince us that what's happening to us and our actions and our beliefs are things that aren't actually revealing God's goodness? So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to dive in it together. Before we do, let's pray. So join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that we have the opportunity to come here and to study one of your attributes, which is your goodness. God, I ask that you would speak through me or in spite of me. Let these words that I'm speaking be your words and your truth. God, I ask that you would reach out to us this morning through your spirit and reveal to us your nature and your heart this morning. In Jesus' name, we pray all these things. Amen. Okay, so what is God's goodness, right? What is it? How do we even define something as kind of nebulous as God's goodness? So God's goodness is that which leads him to be kind, 
which leads him to be cordial, benevolent, and full of goodwill towards men. We heard that in Christmas carols, right? Full of goodwill towards men. It means that God takes holy pleasure in the happiness of his people. So God's goodness, we describe it this way. We say that God's goodness is self-evident. We say that God's goodness is self-caused. And we say that God's goodness is self-fulfilling. It's a fancy way of saying that God is good and will always continue to be good despite anything to do with me, right? I'm going to say that one more time. God is good and he will always continue to be good despite anything to do with me, okay? So why is it important that we believe that God is good? So A.W. Tozer, he was an incredible theologian uh, in the early 1900s. He wrote a bunch of books, and he has this one little gem of a book, and, and it's called The Knowledge of the Holy. And that actually is the book that I'm stealing pretty much everything profound in this sermon from. So if it sounds really great, it's from Tozer. It's not from me. Um, so in The Knowledge of the Holy, he has this quote. We're going to actually put it up on the screen here as I read it to you. It says, the whole outlook of mankind might be changed if we could all believe that we dwell under a friendly sky and that the God of heaven, though exalted in power and majesty, is eager to be friends with us. What an incredible statement. I love this. How could the whole outlook of mankind be changed? What would it look like if we believed that God, though he is glorious and above anything we could ever possibly think or imagine, wanted to be friends with us? Right? Let's make it personal for me. How would this next year, how would 2019 play out if not only did I believe that God was good, but I acted like God was good and that he would continue to act full of goodwill towards me? Because what we believe about God influences our actions, right? It starts here. How do I believe God is going to respond to me? What's he going to do? And then, therefore, I am going to do or not do something based off of that belief. So it's natural and it seems instinctive for us to react to God believing that his opinion and his favor over us changes depending on what we do, right? A great example to illustrate this is how many of you guys have been to OMSI? Raise your hand. Yeah, sweet. Okay, for those of you who don't know, OMSI is a museum up in Portland about science and industry. It's like my playground. If I want to go have a good day, even at 28 years old, I'm going to go to OMSI because it's awesome. But I have this memory of when I was eight years old. OMSI has all these exhibits, all these different things. Well, there's one particular exhibit that I remember going to as an eight-year-old, running out to the corner of the spot, and it was an exercise bike. And this exercise bike was hooked up to this light bulb. And the goal was to try and show you how much energy it takes to actually light a big light bulb. So here's eight-year-old me. I'm climbing on this little exercise bike. My feet barely reach the pedals, but I'm going to do this. It's going to be awesome. And I start pedaling and pedaling and pedaling as hard as I could. And watch with joy as that light just starts to glow so bright. I'm thinking, this is awesome. Well, the only problem with that is that you have to maintain that, right? You have to keep pedaling, keep pedaling. Eventually, you start to get tired. You start to get sore. You start to get sweaty. Your feet slow down. You slow down. So tired. I'm only eight years old. Come on. And then finally, you just can't do it anymore. And you stop. And what happens to that light bulb? It gets dimmer and dimmer. And finally, it just goes out as the wheels stop spinning. Okay. So that is a way in which sometimes we equate God's goodness, that God's goodness is like the light bulb. And how fast and how hard I pedal and how hard I try being good is directly proportional to how much God is good to me. So I've got some good news for you guys this morning. And that is what we're going to talk about is that God's goodness is absolutely, utterly independent of us, and it has to be, otherwise God isn't really good. Okay, I'm going to say this one more time. God's goodness is absolutely, utterly independent of us, and it has to be, or else God can't call himself good. So we're going to be talking about God's goodness, obviously, and we are going to be talking about how he is good despite my beliefs, 
how God is good despite my situation, and how God is good despite my actions. Okay, let's dive into it. The first thing is how God is good despite my beliefs. So as I mentioned before, God's goodness is completely independent of what we believe about him. So he's not like Santa Claus or the Christmas spirit. So my wife and I, we watched this movie called The Christmas Chronicles. It came out on Netflix. It had uh, Kurt Russell in it. And uh, what's incredible is that there was literally on, on Santa Claus's sleigh a meter. And it was the Christmas spirit meter. And how many people believed in the Christmas spirit was waning over the course of the movie and it dropped lower and lower and Santa's powers were reduced because people weren't believing in Christmas, this vague notion of Christmas, right? Sometimes we feel like there's a God's goodness dial, right? And God's goodness dial is slowly dipping and dipping. I just got to believe that God is good and it's going to go back up. Well, the great thing is that the thought of God somehow being limited in any capacity by what we think about him is utterly ridiculous. And if you think of it that way, it's like saying, hey, the thing that beats God is my belief. Then that means that my belief is stronger than God. And it can't be, because otherwise God wouldn't be God with a capital G. He'd be something that we manufactured, something that has physical limitations, whereas our God is not like that. What I believe about God does not limit him at all, or I don't have to be limited by right thinking. I don't have to have a seminary degree and be a pastor of a church in order to be able to receive God's goodness. Okay, so the big thing we're going to look at is scripture here. This is Psalm 145.9. We're going to put it up on the screen here in a second. And I like to be a little bit old school. I like us all to read scripture together. This is short. We can all do it. You guys ready? Let's read this together. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. Man, you guys are good. You guys can come up here and do this too. It's really easy. Yeah, see? Cool. Um, so I love this year because it says the Lord is good to everyone. If I was clever like Brooks, I'd probably put something fake up there first and pretend it's a Bible verse, like the Lord is only good to people who are good. Um, but I didn't. I just put actual scripture. So uh, the Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. The best part about God's goodness is that we get to receive the benefits of it merely by being his creation. Literally by just existing as a byproduct of God's creation, we get to participate in his goodness. So God's goodness flows out of himself. And I love this thought. It's a little bit weird to think about, but it's true. God has everything. He is complete in himself. He needs nothing. Because again, if he needed something like our belief, he wouldn't be God. So because God has everything, he's able to give in abundance to everyone with no strings attached, right? Because he has everything. You guys know that, right? If I have a bunch of stuff, it's a lot easier for me to give it away than if I had nothing. Our God is not a God who has nothing. So let me tell you a story about a time in which I was living in Los Angeles and I had the improper belief and yet God wasn't limited by my belief. So I was living in LA, I was working as a visual effects artist, I, didn't ha I wasn't making a lot of money because I was freelance and my thought was if I want to have nice things, like you're in LA, right, you're driving by, you see people with nice cars and they live in nice houses and it's like, man, I'm going to be that guy someday, right? So I'm, I'm living this belief that if I want to have nice things, I've got to earn it. I've got to work hard and I've got to earn it myself. So. One day, I got a call from my friend Ted, and that threw everything out of whack, that belief system that I had. So let me tell you about Ted. Ted is a news anchor. Uh, he works uh, at NBC Los Angeles, and NBC LA is the second biggest market in the nation. So to be an anchor at that spot means you're high up. Like, Ted is high up. Now, what's great about Ted is that he was a friend of mine at church. We'd gotten together really great. Even though he was like 30 years older than I was, we got along as if we were brothers, and it was a really cool experience. So one day, he called me. 
he said, hey, man, I've been living in the single life for a long time. I need accountability. I need community. I need someone to surround me and to help me be a better and more godly man. And I really see godliness in you, and I want you to come and live with me and another guy, and I'm going to get us a new apartment. We're going to live in an amazing place. Would you be willing to do that? And he said, whatever you're currently paying for rent right now, you can just pay that at our place. And that blew my mind. Like, what? I literally went to God and I was like, God, what, what is that about? I don't even know what to say. Is this something I should do? And God said, hey, man, I've been preparing this for you as an act of my goodness and my love to you. It's totally optional. I'm not forcing you to take this. You don't have to live with Ted. You can stay where you are. But I'm giving this as an option to you. Now, I was living with two other guys and not a great apartment and not a great part in L.A. And so there was a lot of temptation for me to be like, yep, see you later, guys. And honestly, that's exactly what I did. I was like, bye, guys. It's awesome. It's a once-a-lifetime opportunity. And, uh, and I remember coming in, so Ted actually got a spot on the Wilshire Corridor in Westwood. And if you know anything about L.A., that's where all the luxury high-rises are. I mean, it was beautiful. And literally the day I moved in, I had my beat-up Honda. I drove into the entrance gate, parked in the underground spot, and I came to my spot. And literally right across from me was a Ferrari, a red Ferrari. And across from that Ferrari was a Lamborghini. I kid you not, it sounds like something crazy, but literally a Ferrari and a Lamborghini there, and then my beat-up Honda over here. Something does not belong here, and it was definitely me. And then I would take my key fob, and I'd walk up to the concierge who would say hi to me by name. I don't know how this guy did it. He was amazing. I'd, I'd wave my key fob in front of the elevator, and it'd take me up to the sixth floor. I'd walk into this incredible apartment with a view of the city. Wow, guys, this is incredible. Not only that, but it had a beautiful rooftop patio, and on that patio was where we ended up having our wedding reception. Hi, birds. Where we had our wedding reception, and, and people were like, how in the world did you get this place? This is incredible. We couldn't book this if we wanted to. And the answer was Ted, and because of Ted, God's goodness. So the cool thing was that God actually gave this and poured it out to me because he is good. And despite my belief that I had to work and earn it myself, God showed his goodness to me in allowing me to live with Ted in Ted's place. So the first step in unequivocally accepting the reality that God is good is to set aside your notions of needing to have the right belief, the exact proper right belief about God and his goodness in order for him to act kindly to you. He is not limited by this. It's okay for us to be the creation, learning about the creator and making mistakes, but the biggest key is not to waver in the simple belief that God is good and that we can just hold our hands out to the creator and receive his goodness just like that. Okay, so that is how God is good despite my belief. So the next thing is how God is good despite my situation. So it, it is tempting for us to draw conclusions about whether God is good or not by where we are in our current situation. So these are a couple things we might say. You'll see them up on the screen. Uh, it says, I might not have this thing. So I don't have this thing, right? The next thing is, my relationship isn't this way. Okay, my career is stuck here. I'm not going anywhere. Or my bank account only has this much. Or for some of you, my bank account has nothing, right? So these are some of the things that we might say and then make the conclusion that therefore God is holding out on me and isn't totally good. Because if God was good, we say to ourselves, I would not be in this situation. 
So if we judge God by our situation, then the problem is, is we're going to be constantly thrown back and forth in an unrelenting tidal wave of emotion, right? Sometimes life is really good, so therefore God is like good with an A+. And sometimes we're all the way down here, and God's goodness is like an F-. minus. Like there's no goodness happening. And we fluctuate back and forth depending on how life is. The problem is that that's exhausting, and we can't draw our measurement as to how, God, how good God is by where we currently are in life. Okay, so then the, the, the way that we can combat this is by realizing that what we need is an anchor. We need an anchor to be able to hold on to and regardless of where the swings of life currently are. And I am proposing this morning that the unyielding, unrelenting goodness of God can be that anchor for us. The fact that God is good is proclaimed from every page of the Bible. So let's take a look at a few examples. These are far the only examples. And just like we did before, we're going to read them all together out loud. So the first one is James 1.17. Let's read it. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. I love this. God does not change. He's not like a shifting shadow that changes constantly, right? So, therefore, we can draw the conclusion that every good and perfect gift is going to not change. It's going to come down from heaven, and it's going to be given to us regardless of anything that we do. Because if God isn't changing based on his love, then, therefore, we, I can expect that the good gifts are going to continue to come down from him. Okay, Psalm 107.1 is our next one. Let's read it all together. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. What an amazing proclamation that we can make. Let's break it down in the reverse. So if God's love endures forever, which literally means it does not change and it will not change ever, okay? So then we can therefore draw the conclusion that he is good. So his love endures forever, therefore God is good, right? And because he is good, I can give thanks. In every situation, I can be thankful for God's goodness. Okay, the next one is Nahum 1.7. Let's read it all together. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. I love this thought. We're being attacked from all sides. Man, we're just getting battered and it doesn't feel like life is going. And what we need is a stronghold. We need a place we can retreat to, close the moat, get all the barricades up, and we can just hide out and we can camp in that place. Okay, the Lord's goodness is our stronghold. It's a stronghold where no matter what life is throwing at us, we can believe God is good and we can set our camp there and we can stay there in the protection of God's goodness. So this is where faith kicks in. We believe that God is good even when it doesn't look like it and we hold on to that anchor. And this is a key statement I want you guys to really absorb into your hearts. When we're struggling is the perfect time to ask God to reveal his goodness. When we're struggling is the perfect time, not the worst time, it's the perfect time to ask God to reveal his goodness. Here's another example. So this is before I moved to LA. I was in college. Uh, I, I was so poor. I literally had nothing. You college students know what it's like. It was rough. I literally had zero dollars in my bank account. And I was, I had my, my uh, housing taken care of, so I lived in a 10 by 10 little concrete cubicle that we called our dorm room that I shared with the guy who would later become my business partner, Cobalt. But, and I had a meal plan, and I had two meal tokens that I could use a day, and that was it. No money for gas, no money for clothes, no money for anything. But the thing that actually was the hardest part was that I didn't have shampoo. 
I had no shampoo. And that was the hardest thing that I couldn't live without. In fact, my roommate, he was also as poor as I was, and he didn't have anything, but he had a bar of soap. And he would literally be in the shower, rubbing this bar of soap in his hair, and then taking like 10 minutes to try and get all of the soap crudded pieces out of his hair. So I was not that brave. I just used water. But after a while, man, you know, not having shampoo is a really big deal. And so I remember sitting down on my bed feeling super dejected. and like, man, this is so rough. And I remember asking and thinking about this and saying, okay, God invites me to ask him for things that I need right? God invites me to ask him. So this is a little bit silly. I'm not really struggling with like an existential crisis and I don't have a life-altering disease or anything. I'm just going to straight up ask God for shampoo and see what happens, right? And so I remember being like, God, hey, it's me, Joel. If you're out there, if you're paying attention, listening, hey, this isn't a big deal, but could you get me some shampoo? That'd be really nice. Okay, thanks, God. Bye. That was basically my prayer. And I remember feeling so absolutely foolish as I was praying this prayer. Like, this is the dumbest prayer I think I've ever prayed in my life. And so uh, I walked out to go to the cafeteria to use one of my two meal tokens for the day. And I walk into the door. And there, I kid you not, next to the cash register where we swipe our cards was a huge basket filled to the brim with shampoo. Literally filled to the brim with shampoo. My eyes must have been like huge as I was walking in. And I came up to this cafeteria lady who was nice and she knew me and she's like, hey, I was like, what is this? And she said, oh, we had a representative from Gillette come by and they had so many extra samples from things that they did. They said, hey, just give it out to all the college students, anybody who needs it. And I remember thinking, wow, wow, this, you have no idea how crazy this is. And then she said, here, give me your bag. You look like you could use some shampoo. I'm like... Yeah, you're, you're right, I could use some shampoo. She literally opened my bag and took the basket and dumped shampoo into my bag until it was overflowing. And this blew my mind because not only did God give me one bottle of shampoo, which is what I was asking for, he gave me so much shampoo that I could give it to my poor roommate and the two of us had shampoo that lasted us for the rest of the year, okay? That's God's goodness. Not only does he give us what we need, he gives us more than we need because that is how good he is. So when we're in a situation like I was wondering where's our shampoo or something a lot more life-threatening, it's tempting to believe that our situation is a reflection of the lack of God's goodness and his love. But guys, the opposite couldn't be more true. The opposite couldn't be more true. God's goodness, like a ray of sunshine, it bursts through our situation and it comes down to warm our heart. Because our situations change, but God is not any more good today than he was yesterday, nor will he be any less good tomorrow. That is the God that we serve. So in a time in which everything seems to fluctuate, his goodness is constant, and that's a reason to praise him, just like those passages did. All right, so that is how God is good despite my situations. Last thing is how God is good despite my actions, and this is the biggest one for me. So remember the bicycle with the light bulb analogy? I know I often equate God's goodness with my goodness, that the better I am, the better God is going to be towards me and treat me. And even throughout other history, other religions, and even in the Old and New Testament, we see examples of people believing the same thing, that either the chief deity in charge was directly going to punish us or he was going to bless us depending on how good we were being. So, what I want to do is to talk to us about how God is good despite our actions. Because God cannot be absolutely perfectly good if he chooses to withhold his goodness based on our behavior. That's not to say that our actions don't have consequences, because our actions definitely have consequences and we often have to live them out. But God, rather that God chooses to override the true consequences of our actions because he's good. 
Okay, you guys might have seen this passage together in Romans 6.23. We're going to read it together as it comes on the screen. So, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I love this. God created us in his goodness, right? And he redeemed us in out of the same reason. He redeemed us because he's good. Even though he knew that we would be rebellious and fall into sin, he still prepared and then offered the free gift of God that override the ultimate consequences, which was death. Here's another passage, Matthew 5, 45. Let's read it together. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. I love this. God is not showing partiality based on merit, based on performance, based on what we do or didn't do. But rather, he literally, because he is good, he built the entire earth's weather system so that we would all be blessed out of his goodness, that the rain would come down on both those who are acting good towards him and even those who are acting ill towards him. So I want to illustrate this. We've all heard the story of the prodigal son, right? But let's tell the, I want to tell you the story in the context of God's goodness so that we can frame it in this light. Okay, so we know that the son requests his early inheritance. And what does this mean? I love this. My dad broke this down for me. It's such a great idea. Okay, the son was basically, we, we hear that the son says, hey, dad, I'd like my inheritance, which kind of thinks he's, in our modern day, we kind of think, hey, why don't you give me my stock options now? I'd love to be able to cash those out and get some money. No, that's not what was happening. Literally, the son wanted his dad dead. He literally wanted, he's like, dad, you're great and all, but I want you to die so that I can get my inheritance and become wealthy, right? And so what he does is something absolutely uh, just way unusual for the time, and that was he says, dad, I want you to give my inheritance before you die because you're not dying fast enough. And that's crazy. Can you imagine having a conversation with your dad? How do you think that would go? But his dad actually does it. He gives it to his son. His son goes off to a foreign land. He squanders all his money. And then he realizes, man, I have nothing. And we all know this, the, the part where he's literally dumping pig food sloth into the trough. And he says, man, even my father's servants are eating better than this. I need to go back to my dad. I need to say I'm not worthy of being your son so that I can just work for you as a servant because I will be treated better than I am here. So we're going to pick up this story. I'm just going to read this to you guys. You don't have to read it with me, but you'll see it up on the screen. This, this is Luke 15, 20 to 24. It says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost, but now is found. I love this because in this story, the true heart of God is revealed in the father's response. The father's goodness towards his son, despite his son's actions, reveal how God will respond to us. Just as in this story, God is waiting for us to come back to him so that he can respond as the prodigal's father did. It does make us nervous though, right? Because we say, okay, if I'm going to come to God in the same way, what is God, how is God going to act towards me? What is he going to be like? The answer is that God will be found to be exactly like Jesus, because Jesus said, those who have seen me have seen the Father. So Christ walked with men on earth that he might show them what God's goodness is like and make known the true nature of God to a race that had, de had developed wrong ideas about him. Jesus came to set the record straight. I love this. Tozer puts this in his book. I just want to read it to us real quick, and then we'll be wrapping up. 
From Jesus, we learn how God acts towards his people. We find that the penitent will find him merciful. The self-condemned will find him generous and kind. The frightened will find him friendly. The poor in spirit will find him forgiving. The poor in life will find him overflowing in riches. The ignorant will find him considerate. The weak will find him gentle. The stranger will find him hospitable. And the seeker of God will find him to be good. So I'm going to invite the band come up as we bring this, this sermon down for a close. Um, I want to read to you, this is something that a woman named Julian of Norwich, uh, she was a woman who lived over 800 years ago, and she wrote this tiny little book called Revelations of Divine Love. And she says in this passage, all of our religious activities and every means of grace, however right and useful they may be, are nothing until we understand that the unmerited, spontaneous goodness of God is the back of all and underneath all his acts. And to understand this goodness, we need to remember that God is good despite our beliefs, our situation, and our actions. So to get back to the story of how we lost everything moving to L.A., I, I, or moving from L.A., I, I had a dream, and I thought that my dream was it, and that that was the best thing. And losing that, I thought I lost everything. Well, God transplanted us from L.A. and brought us here to Oregon to give us a better reality. Not just a dream, but a better reality. And that's because he's good. And the best way for us all to accept the reality of his goodness is to respond to his call. If we are to be welcomed as the prodigal son, we must come to him as the prodigal came. And when we so come, there will be a feast of welcome within, with music and with dancing as the father again takes his child to his heart. That is the goodness of God. <laughs>